Good morning, Church at 11. Wonderful to be with you. My name is Greg Blanche. I'm one of the ministers at OEC. Uh, please have your Bibles open at Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 13. Um, and I want to start by talking about the reputation that Christians have for being judgy. We're, we're told we're judgmental by some people. We look down on others, uh, some people think. Maybe Maybe you have seen or felt that yourself in the church, uh, judged, looked down on, rejected because of something you did or something you said or the way that you act or the way that you might think. We live in a society also that says that you have no right to tell me how to live. Only you can do you and you need to let me to be me. And then we come across verses like these in the passage that we read today, just then. Verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Then skip down to verse 10. Why do you judge your brother or your sister? Verse 13, let us stop passing judgment on one another. And so the message comes across crystal clear, doesn't it? We should never judge others, right? And then Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 7, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. It seems fairly clear. Do not judge, Jesus says. And so I'm doing something, and fellow Christians hold me to account, let me know that what I'm doing might be wrong. And I think, well, who are you to judge me? Who are you to point the finger at me? What makes you my judge? And then the words, we take the words do not judge and turn them into an overarching principle in all circumstances. But what about other things that we have read so far in Romans chapter 12? Like verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That seems to be making a judgment, doesn't it? And then love's love's not about being nice to people. Pretending truth doesn't matter and just saying what people want to hear. Love's not about making people happy. We need to love people with the truth. And the same guy who said, let us stop passing judgment on one another in 1 Corinthians urged that church to judge those inside the church. Expel the wicked person from among you, he says. So followers of Jesus were urged to judge in some situations and not judge in others. But so often we get those two things wrong. We judge people when we shouldn't and as a result the gospel is hurt. And then we fail to make judgments where we should, and the people we care about are left in temptation and sin. What I hope will happen today as we reflect on this passage in Romans 14 is that that will help us to work through what it is to love one another in areas where we might think differently. That will promote gospel growth and limit the cancer of unnecessary hurt and division. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this part of your word. Help us to sit under it. Help us to listen. Help us to be changed. We pray that you would work in our hearts by your Spirit to make us more like your Son. Amen. Love. When we kicked off this whole series in in Romans chapter 12, and from that point on, we've seen that love is a key part of what it means to live in the light of the gospel. In Romans 12 verse 1, where where Paul said, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, living life with our eyes so clearly in the rear vision mirror, remembering the cross of Christ, who we are in him, what he has done, cross-shaped lives that are thankful 
for what God has done for us in Jesus. And a key aspect of that life shaped by the cross is the aspect of love, the command to love. And we've seen a number of different things about how we are to love one another in the light of the gospel. How we should see ourselves with humility and in that, in that humility to serve our brothers and sisters in the church in chapter 12. Love shaped by the truth in chapter 12 again. Love seeking peace with others and not taking revenge. Love for our community is submitting to those that God has placed in authority over us. And love, as we saw last week, as a debt we can never pay back. And in the passage in front of us today, and really for the next chapter and a half, Paul speaks about how we are to love one another in a particular situation, and that is in what he calls disputable matters, in areas where we are free to think differently as Christians. So verse 1, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. And then, as I said, a chapter and a half talking about that. Clearly, this issue was a big one for the Roman church. So what were the particular issues rolling around the Roman church that Paul wanted to address? Paul picks up on two in this chapter in particular. The eating of food and how we treat special days. So verse 2, you see the first one. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. You see, the next uh, one in verse 5, one considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. There are two examples of disputable matters that Paul mentions here. The food issue could have been the difference between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, people from Jewish and Gentile backgrounds. Gentile Christians love prawns wrapped in bacon, but Christians from Jewish backgrounds were still working through what it meant that Jesus said all foods were clean. It could have been something different, like food sacrificed to idols that some people were happy to eat, other people were not. In reality, it doesn't really matter what the exact circumstances Paul had in mind as he raises these issues. What matters is how it works in practice. So, and this is really important to get as we work through these chapters, Paul is not speaking about matters of godliness. Chris made that clear right at the start like whether we can lie or not, or sexual immorality, or whether we should go to church or not, or gossip, or whether we should be forgiving, patient, or hospitable. These are not disputable matters. That's not what Paul is talking about. So what could be disputable matters for us? Well, if we've got a command about something from God in the, in, in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, well, that's not a disputable matter. We have not been commanded to eat pork. Instead, we've been told it's okay. Uh, p- parents have been commanded to love their children. Let's take parenting as an example. We've been commanded to love our children, to not exasperate them, to teach them, raise them up in the knowledge and love of the Lord. But there's no commands about what school to send your kids to. Another one, it might be how we use our money. That could be a disputable matter. God hasn't told us to go out and buy cheap second-hand cars. He hasn't commanded us to shop at Aldi or to buy clothes at Salvo's. The way we use our money can be a disputable matter. Having said that, God has told us that greed is idolatry. So we do have some clear commands in the way we use our money. We can sin in the way we use our money. And so that makes it hard to nut out, doesn't it? Some other examples. We haven't been commanded to meet in a particular church building or what arrangement of chairs need to be in that building or what flavour of music we should have at church. And the list of things could simply go on. 
Now, of course, in all of these areas, there's wisdom we need to apply. And also, in some areas, commands we need to obey. But even within those disputable matters, there's going to be different people who apply those principles and wisdom in different ways. There are issues where it's easy for us to judge people or to put it another way, just write them off and not accept them in these areas of dispute. But as you can see, these, these issues aren't simple to negotiate. There's matters of wisdom to take into account, clear commands from God to take into account, and Christian freedom to negotiate as well. And to help us work out how to love others who think differently to us, we need to understand the reasons behind what Paul is saying that comes out in the passage. Then we can work out how we're going to love others in these differences. Why does Paul tell us, what does God tell us, sorry, why does God tell us through Paul that we are to accept those who think differently to us in these disputable matters without passing judgment? There's two reasons that come out in this passage. And they're all about who we are in Jesus. All Christians are accepted by God. All Christians are servants of the Lord Jesus and will be judged by him. They're the two things we'll look at. And those two truths need to shape the way that we treat one another in these differences. Firstly, God has accepted them. Have a look at verse 3. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. Why? Because God has accepted them. We might look at the way that someone else uses their money or the way that they dress at church or, or what they eat and what they drink or how they parent or whatever it might be. And they don't do it like me. The way I do it makes sense to me. In fact, I think the way I do it is more godly, it's more wise. And I look at others who do things differently, wrongly, as far as I'm concerned, and it makes me feel good about myself. I, can, I compare myself to them and my Christianity is better than theirs. That's what I start to tell myself. And so I don't relate with those people well. I think of them as second-class Christians who haven't got it together like I have, and I fail to love them and honour them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Who am I to do that? If they trust in Jesus, if they've repented of their sin as I have, accepted Jesus' death on the cross as I have, then just like me, they are accepted by God. Who am I not to accept them? Who am I to spurn their fellowship and care and deprive them of mine? They are forgiven. They are saints. They are holy. They are justified. Sons and daughters of God, declared righteous in Christ, God welcomes them into his presence. If God has accepted their fellowship, then so should I, and so should you. You get the impression in these verses that there seems to be distinct groups of Christians within the Roman church at the time who would have had very little to do with one another, possibly. You know, the meat-eating Christians and the vegos. There could have been bacon lovers growth groups and, and, and bean curd Bible studies. Um, and, they, and they rarely speak to one another. Put up, they put up with each other's presence and Paul says, no, that's not on. Do we shun those who don't see the Christian life the way that we do? Do we struggle to encourage them and be encouraged by them because of some difference of opinion on money or church or whatever it might be and put those things at the centre? My friends, that should never be. God has accepted them and so must we. The second reason, the other reason why we are to accept others without passing judgment is because Jesus is their master and their judge and not me. And this idea is the primary one we see keeps on coming up through these verses. Verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? 
to their own master, servants stand or fall. Drop down to verse 7. For none of us live lives Live, uh, live for ourselves alone, and none of us die to ourselves alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. So picture this situation. A servant in a Roman household is, is working in the garden. The next door neighbour in the next villa, they come in and tell this servant, someone else's servant, to recut the roses because they're not doing it right. That's just not on. That guy would be turfed out of the garden in no time by the master of the servant. When we judge others, when we look down on them, write them off as second-class Christians because they think differently in a disputable matter, then we're doing the same thing. We are treating that person like they're accountable to us, as if they're answerable to me, as if we are the ones who decide what's best for them, what's right and wrong for them. In these disputable matters, we need to remember we are not each other's master. We are answerable to God. We belong to the Lord. We live for him. We die for him. Why? Verse 9, because Jesus died and rose. He's the Lord of the living and the Lord of the dead. And he will judge the living and the dead too. Have a look at verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother and your sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. These verses are so radically different to what our modern Western world says. We live in a world that says there's only one person you're answerable to, and that's yourself. The greatest freedom is personal freedom. I'm responsible for me, accountable to me. You do you, you let me do me. And it's this modern mantra that is usually the drive for people to say, you can't judge me. It is wrong to judge me. But that's not what this passage is saying. I am not my master. I'm not free to act and think and and speak any way I want to. I am answerable to, owned by, and accountable to Jesus. I don't rule myself. God rules me. And the way I treat others in these disputable matters I need to treat them with the knowledge that they are accountable to Jesus and not to me. I need to relate with them in the light of the truth that they will stand before the judgment seat. And so will I. Paul says clearly, verse 12, we will each need to give an account of ourselves to God. The way we treat others with judgmentalism, with indifference, ignoring them, condemning them, will be held to account. And our love of others despite our differences, will also come before God and be commended by him. We live between two big events. In the rear vision mirror, our salvation in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, on the road ahead, our eternal home, when we come to judgment, face to face with our God and Saviour and our Maker. And it's these two great realities that Paul wants us to consider as we work out how to love our brothers and sisters in areas that we differ. In the rear vision mirror, at the cross of Christ, God has accepted them. God has accepted us. We are brothers and sisters forgiven. On the road ahead, we will both stand before the judgment seat to give an account, accountable ultimately to God, not to one another. In our Western culture, love is about the moment. Love is about the feeling, the present, how you make me feel, how I make you feel. Mutual affection in the here and the now. Christian love must be deeper, shaped profoundly by our past 
and our future by the rear vision mirror and the road ahead. And it's that great future day that needs to profoundly affect the way that we disagree in areas that don't matter and how we might treat one another in the face of those differences. Our judgment, our judgment of others needs to be shaped by the love of God in the cross and the light of the coming day of judgment. Paul's not saying in this chapter and in the chapter that follows that we can never make judgment calls, that we should never call that sin or have that hard conversation with a Christian friend who's walking down a path that deeply concerns us. When Paul asked the question in verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother and sister? He is speaking in the context of differences of opinion that are disputable matters. In fact, what Paul wants us to do is make right judgments. Verse 13, have a look at the last verse we read. Therefore, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Interestingly, the word make up your mind is actually the same word as judge. So a more literal translation would be, stop passing judgment. Instead, make this judgment not to put a stumbling block in someone else's way. So make the right judgment to love your brother and your sister in the light of the cross and the coming judgment. So as we try to work out how should we treat people who think differently to me, we need to ask the question, how does the fact that they're accepted by God change what you will say and how you might say it and whether you might say it? How will the truth that they will stand before God on that last day, how will that change our attitude, our words, our actions, as we seek to love that person in the light of that coming day? It might mean you need to speak a difficult word of love. It might mean you need to hold your tongue and confess judgmentalism. It might be mean you need to spend more time listening and less time speaking. Do we only care for those who think the same as we do? Do we love those who think differently to us? They're important questions to ask. Do you welcome and respect and show genuine care for people who have different perspectives on money? on baptism, on politics, or whatever the issue might be that so easily comes into the centre. Our relationship with others who trust in Jesus should never be defined by these areas of difference, but by our unity in Christ and the coming judgment that we'll all face. These disputable matters should never be a stumbling block to true Christian fellowship. If they are, then we need to confess our sin to God, ask him to help us, to love others in the light of the cross and the light of that great day when we come face to face with the one to whom we must give an account. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this great hope that we have in Jesus. We thank you for the great hope of heaven. And we pray that you would help us to be people who love one another in the light of those two great events. And where we think differently, give us wisdom to know what it is to love them in that too. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.